A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. Um, As we're coming up to the 10-year anniversary of the podcast uh, next year in 2022, I'm looking at some things that I I talked about basically 10 years ago um, and trying to sort of re-approach them and and talk about them in in new ways. And uh, So today I'm going to start off a series of um, podcasts. I might do actually another one later this week on the Battle of the Atlantic. The Battle of the Atlantic was uh, Churchill said or even apocryphally said because Churchill quotations are so so many and so many things have been attributed to him there's even a school of, uh, of as a, an idea called Churchillian drift where over time more and more things apparently said by Winston Churchill but supposedly he said that the only thing that ever really really made him afraid during the Second World War was the possibility of losing the Battle of the Atlantic losing the ability for uh, Great Britain to import food. Britain, since the mid-19th century, had been a net food importer. Britain's sort of transition from protection to free trade um, in the 1840s had brought about um, the the country being a net, a net food importer, and Britain uh, didn't have the uh, the wherewithal, didn't have the uh, abilities in 1939 uh, to completely sustain itself from its own domestic food supply. Um, And so during the First World War, Germany was well aware that this was potentially how you defeat Great Britain, you you can starve Britain out. It transpired that the Royal Naval Blockade on Germany actually starved Germany into the the point of uh, insurrection and revolution in uh, November 1918 plus huge battlefield losses um, uh, after the Battle of Amiens. Anyway, the the British uh, knew that this would be the strategy uh, again, that U-boats would sink food um, convoys coming from um, uh, America and Canada, um, and that convoy protection would be one of the, the, the key parts of, of um, winning the war. So the Royal Navy is um, a, a huge, huge, and some often overlooked part of the, uh, the, the 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 British kind of contribution to uh, to Britain's national survival. You know, in in British national memory, um, the the kind of the 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 almost kind of hallowed, the 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 almost sort of civic religion that we've created out of uh, the Second World War in. Uh, in Great Britain, as the, the country spirals towards ever greater levels of nostalgia and neuroticism, um, think events such as Dunkirk, the Blitz, and the Battle of Britain, and then D-Day stand out as being um, key moments uh, where sort of Britain's soul in the war is, is forged. And the Battle of the Atlantic, because it was a longer process, it was less kind of identifiable as, uh, as a moment, it tends to get overlooked. So we're looking at that standard tome, um, All Hell Let Loose by Max Hastings, which, as I've said before, you know, as a general reader on the Second World War, is, is pretty good. Um, a, a better book, and one that maybe I'll dip into next year, is, is Anthony Bieber's History of the Second World War. Um, but the, the, the two are fairly, fairly objective. Um, 
and they don't suffer from the the kind of the, the jingoistic fantasies that uh, certain historians like to inject into their work. Okay, so Max Hastings writes, The British army's part in the struggle against Nazism was vastly smaller than that of the Russians, as would also be the US Army's contribution. Beyond Britain's symbolic role in holding aloft the standard of resistance to Hitler, from 1940 onwards, its principal strategic importance became that of a giant aircraft carrier and naval base, from which the bomber offensive and return to the continent were launched. It fell to the Royal Navy to conduct the critical struggles of 1940 to 43 to keep the British people fed, to hold open the sea lanes to the Empire and the uh, and overseas battlefields, and convoy munitions to Russia. Naval might uh, naval might could not uh, bring about the defeat of Germany, nor even protect Britain's Eastern Empire from the Japanese. It was a fundamental problem for the two Western allies that they were sea powers seeking to defeat a great land power, which required a predominantly Russian solution. But if German efforts to interdict shipments to Britain were successful, Churchill's people would starve. A minimum of 23 million tonnes of supplies a year, half the pre-import total, had to be transported the pre-war import total, had to be transported across the Atlantic in the face of surface raiders and U-boats. Protecting this commerce was a huge endeavour. The Navy had suffered as severely as Britain's other services from interwar retrenchment. The construction of big ships required years, and even a small convoy escort um, took months to build. Britain's shipyards were indifferently managed and managed by an intransigent labour force, which began to work only a little harder when the Soviet Union was obliged to change sides and communists of all nationalities endorsed the war effort. Britain built and repaired ships more slowly, if more cheaply, than the United States and could never match the American capacity. For the Royal Navy, shortage of escorts was a pervasive reality of the early war years. I mean, if um, this, this makes... Um, sense of um, Churchill's deal with Roosevelt um, in the one of the, the, the Lend-Lease deals, the uh, basis for destroyers, uh, where 50 US destroyers were, like, were, were given um, to uh, the Royal Navy in return for access to British bases, in, primarily in the Caribbean. When the destroyers turned up, they were actually of, of questionable value. Um, they were uh, old and not particularly good and not particularly fit for purpose, but they managed to um, they managed to kind of plug the gap that the British had made for themselves during the 1930s by the, the cancellation of orders and the mothballing of shipyards, um, the loss of shipyard workers due to, during the, uh, the Great Depression, men who were uh, put on short hours, um, who wound up having to go and do other things, or who simply, uh, older workers who retired altogether. An example of the effect of austerity measures was that in 1931, uh, pay cuts to uh, the Royal Navy led to a mutiny at uh, the naval base at Invergordon in Scotland. Um, anyway, 
the the problem that the the British had was that it was difficult to concentrate strength against um, enemy capital ships, which might be few in number, but which posed a threat and were deployed many hundreds of miles apart. The very in the first war years, writes Max Hastings, German surface raiders imposed as many difficulties as U-boats. They needed um, the need to divert convoys from danger zones increased the strain on British merchant shipping resources. Um, the, the 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 surface raiders that um, the the British initially feared were capital ships such as the Tirpitz, the Graf Spee, the Prince Eugen, and, and the Bismarck, who were um, capable of uh, um, attacking uh, British convoys and devastating them. And Churchill put a, a lot of effort. Um, as First Lord of the Admiralty uh, before he became Prime Minister into focusing on the problems of uh, surface radio ships. Not to any great success, um, the eventual sink, uh, sinking of the Bismarck um, was in part a um, strategic victory but also a great propaganda victory to show that the Royal Navy could get the better of hit the surface fleet and it was a, a kind of a, a gesture as the British attempted to make several times over to the Soviets to show that the British were doing their bit and were um, attacking the enemy where they could do. There was no opportunity to wage a land war at this point other than in North Africa, which the Soviets rightly dismissed as something of a sideshow, as far as they were concerned. And um, the ability to fight a war at sea was of, of crucial importance. The need to divert convoys from danger zones increased the strain on the British merchant shipping resources. German sorties between 1939 and 1943 precipitated dramas which seized the attention of the world. The pocket battleship Graf Spee sank nine merchantmen before being scuttled after its encounter with three British cruisers off the River Plate in December 1939. The 56,000-ton Bismarck destroyed the battlecruiser Hood before being somewhat clumsily dispatched by a converging British squadrons on the 27th of May 1941. The British public was outraged when the Scharnhorst and the Neisau made a dash for Wilhelmshaven from Brest through the Channel Narrows on the 21st to the 22nd of February 1942, suffering only mine damage amid fumbling efforts by the, by the Navy and the RAF to intercept them. The, president, the, the presence of the Tirpitz in the fjords of Norway menaced British Arctic convoys and strongly influenced home fleet deployments until 1944, where, uh, on a biographical note, it was sunk by a squadron of Lancasters led by one Willie Tate, who it transpired went to a school I taught at several years ago. We uncovered it in the, the school records and put a plaque to him outside. Uh, so there you go. Further afield, um, the Italian Navy had formidable numer numerical strength. And, where, and when the Japanese entered the war, the Royal Navy suffered severely at their hands, losing the Prince of Wales and the repulse off the coast of Malaya in 1942. So the, the Royal Navy in um, 1939 
is a kind of a, a beast that is becoming quite quite out of date. Um, it is past its prime. Um, the the lost decade of the 1930s has really, really been quite catastrophic for Britain's sea power. But of course, we're transitioning away from a time where the capital ship is the battleship. The next half century is going to be the age of the aircraft carrier. And in the Second World War is the, the last hurrah of Britain's Royal Navy. After the end of the Second World War, by the late 1940s, huge numbers of British warships are being left to rust. Max Hastings writes, most British battleships were old, slow and could not be adapted for bulky uh, modern fire control equipment. The Dutch Navy's triaxially stabled Hazemeyer system represented the most advanced AA gunnery technology in the world, to which the Royal Navy gained access in 1940. It was fragile and unreliable, however, and the British version entered general service only in 1945. Anti-aircraft fire control uh, remains sadly ineffective, meanwhile. The British had more carriers than the US Navy in 1943, but they were never enough, uh, there were never enough to go round, or rather to meet global demand. And they were too small to carry powerful air groups. Fleet air arm pilots displayed notable courage, but their performance was indifferent in both air combat and anti-shipping operations. The RAF, doctrinally committed to a strategic bomber offensive, resisted the diversion of resources to support operations at sea. Throughout the conflict, the Royal Navy displayed the highest standards of courage, commitment and seamanship, but until 1943, it struggled against odds to fulfil too many responsibilities with too few ships, all vulnerable to air attack, as the fate of the Prince of Wales and the Repulse showed. In the uh, journey to um, the Far East, when the colonies of Malaya and Singapore were threatened, uh, announced by Winston Churchill, um, as the Japanese knew that British ships were coming, they began to practice dive bombing uh, tactics against capital ships. One of the problems that the British face in uh, the Second World War is, of course, imperial overstretch. Uh, the problem that uh, the British have is they have a uh, predominantly Southeast Asian empire, a European enemy. They have a latterly uh, an Asian enemy in, in Japan uh, after December 1941. And they have a Mediterranean enemy that threatens to choke off the, the sea lane to the east. And so these three opponents, and there was the possibility that the Soviet Union might well have been a fourth opponent, um, the British were uh, had all sorts of plans to fight the Soviet Union uh, in uh, 1939. Meant that the the British have a huge amount of overstretch. Uh, the the Royal Navy being the kind of the the medium by which the empire is is held uh, together, and the Mediterranean was one of the was one of the principal areas of Churchill's interest. Churchill was hugely concerned 
that um, the Allies and he, uh, at the Casablanca conference in uh, early 1943, uh, pressurised the Americans to take his view. And this is not the last moment, really, that Churchill had the upper hand in any conversations with, with Roosevelt, um, that the, the Mediterranean strategy came first. However, there is an impact on the Royal Navy. Churchill's decision to make major British military effort in North Africa obliged the Navy to conduct operations in the Mediterranean with negligible air cover and in the face of strong Axis air forces operating from fields in Italy, Sicily, Libya, Rhodes, Greece and Crete. Able seaman Charles Hutchinson described an air, an air attack on the cruiser Carlisle in May 1941. The bombers came and attacked us wave after wave. They seemed to single out a ship and deliver a mass attack on it diving vertically and from all angles. A huge bomb exploded in the water near our gun. Tons of water crashed down on us, tearing us away from the gun and tossing us around like straw. I was certain we would be swept over the side. One thought flashed in my mind. My God, this is the end. After what seemed like an eternity, we picked ourselves up, blew up our life belts and kicked away our shoes, as I for one expected to abandon ship. But in a short time, we were firing again, as, um, as we were still being attacked. Huge pieces of shrapnel lay around. There was a huge column of black smoke amidships and a direct hit on uh, number two gun. There isn't a gun now, just a piece of charred metal. Nearly all the gun's crew were wiped out. Most of our lads trapped underneath the gun or blown against the splinter shield. It was a ghastly sight. We've lived and slept all as a family for a year and a half, laughed, quarrelled, joked, all gone ashore together, discussed our private lives. Poor old Bob Sylvie is still under the gun. I've seen him, but it's impossible to get him out. So following the, uh, the, 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 the disaster in Greece where the, the British um, landed in order to force out Italy and to prevent um, a German uh, seizure of Greece, uh, the, entirely the, the, the opposite happened. The British uh, were forced out of Greece by a, a German advance. Uh, it was an evacuation to Crete. Uh, Crete is reinforced. Troops, particularly Australian troops, were taken from uh, North Africa, just as the British are getting the upper hand in North Africa. And there's another one of Churchill's uh, blunders. And reallocated to Crete. And then Crete falls when the airfields uh, at Malimi, uh, or the airfield at Malimi, it was uh, identified as a weak point, and uh, German airlift came in, and Crete was lost. Losing Crete. Um, and much of the rest of the Mediterranean meant that Malta became a key point in the, uh, the, the, the British lifeline to its forces in, in North Africa. And Max Hastings writes about Malta. Malta, the only offshore outpost in the central Mediterranean from which Axis supply routes to North Africa could be interdicted, faced three years of siege. Under almost continuous bombardment from nearby Sicily, at times, the island became unserviceable as an offensive base for submarines and surface ships, but it remained a vital, um, uh, a vital earnest of Britain's will to fight. 
Hitler blundered by failing to seize Malta in 1941, and huge efforts and sacrifices were made to sustain it thereafter. Between June 1940 and early 1943, the Mediterranean was largely unusable as an Allied supply route, but Ch Chilean war-making emphasised assertion of the Navy's presence and engagements of opportunity, especially against the Italian fleet. Some of the fiercest naval fighting of the war and heavy British losses took place in those limpid waters. The Axis faced increasing pressure on its own ceilings to North Africa, but the passage between southern Italy and Tripoli was short. Only in mid-1942 did shipping losses and fuel shortages begin to exert an important influence on Rommel's fortunes. And this is true, uh, because by 1942 it was becoming clear to uh, Germany, clear to Rommel and clear to his, his boss Albert Kesselring, that uh, the, the resupply of the Africa Corps was uh, becoming highly, highly problematic because Britain had hung on in Malta and managed to reinforce it with um, aircraft that uh, bombed shipping lanes, uh, that chased off aircraft cover, uh, fighter cover uh, and escorts for um, Italian and German ships uh, and made the, the resupply of North Africa more and more difficult. And this is crucial because Rommel's supply lines, because of his successes in North Africa, were becoming longer and longer. And in a way, it, it was the side in North Africa that managed to deal with this kind of elastic resupply problem, this a supply line problem that would uh, ultimately win. And of course, the German Empire has reached the limits of what it's capable of in Russia too. So Germany, uh, in uh, its own way, experienced imperial overstretch by 1942, uh, 1943. OK, so we're, we're going to finish now in, in a moment. Um, I, I'd just like to urge everybody... Um, if you are looking to buy any um, Christmas presents, looking to buy any, any history book uh, Christmas presents, um, you can get a 10% discount from storytellers in St. Ives. They'll mail it all out to you. Um, you know, don't have to worry about that. Um, if you um, follow the instructions in the, the notes to this, this podcast, it's a small independent bookshop. Um, wonderful family-run uh, little store, um, and it's worthy of supporting, just as any local bookshop is. If you can, support your local bookshops. Try not to buy from big online online sellers because they won't care when your local bookshop is boarded up and your high street is much the poorer for it. So uh, give, them a, give storytellers um, an email, quote explaining history, and you'll get 10% off your order. Thanks very much and come and check us out at uh, www.explaininghistory.org and uh, I'll catch you all soon. Take care. All the best. Bye bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 